Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Chapter Tactics, where we talk about tactics and strategies to help both new and veteran players alike. I am your host, Magikarp Usefly, and with me today, as always, we have our co-host in Dameki. Hey, y'all. How y'all doing? We've also got a John P. Hey, y'all. How y'all doing? <laughs> Every single time, dude, you try, you try to do an accent, or you try to do a southern accent. You're gonna get it one day. I, I, it, I'm, I'm doing my shitty rendition. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I'm done talking. Yeah. <laughs> and with us today, we have the one, the only Wyatt Turk. Yeah. What's up? What's up, man? This is Jack of the Cubs painting. Do you want to introduce yourself to people that uh, who don't know who you are? Sure. Yeah. My name is Wyatt. Uh, I'm also a co-host on the Long War podcast. You may have heard, and uh, I play on the ITC circuit quite a bit, and I also have a YouTube channel and Twitch stream where I teach painting uh, for minis. Heck yeah, dude! What what did you uh, what did you get on um, what's it called uh, on ITC? I think that you were trying to fight for Chaos Space Marines. Oh, yeah, so last season, uh, myself and Russell Tassin and Mike Pestilence were in a very competitive race for best in faction chaos space Marines. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, right at the very end, Russell clutched it out. And so it was, um, nice to see him win. I mean, so like Russell, he's also, uh, an army vet like me and he's from Texas. So early in the year we were like, well, somebody's bringing it home to Texas and somebody's going to win it for the army. So we had a very friendly rivalry going on and it was, it was nice to see him win, even if I didn't. Yeah. What, what place did you get? Uh, I believe I finished 237th globally. Oh, okay. What would you get in, uh, in Cal space Marines? Oh, so I got third, um, at LVO because LVO is worth so many points. Um, I had a, like a horrendous last game, um, because I had somebody like walk into me and my, a bunch of my models got like broken because he like, like smashed his chair into, into my tray as I was, as I was strolling by. And so I had like a really bad attitude going into that game. And I was sort of just like, you know, half my, half my army's busted. Like you're going to win this game no matter what. So like, I'll play as long as you want to play. Um, it took a pretty big L on that one. And then um, Mike actually did the best, if I remember right, because he went four and two. And then both Russell and I went three and three. But because Russell had such a, a points lead, uh, he ended up winning. And then Mike jumped me by a fraction of a point. I think it was, oh. it was uh, like 0.37 over like 0.15 or something like that. It barely, barely got me. So I ended up third. Gotcha. And uh, I think that the one where you were fighting against um, the person that uh, uh, the one where your models got like messed up, I think I walked by that table that you were playing against the guy that was uh, that flew in from Hawaii. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was yeah. a super nice guy. And like, you know, I, I came to the table and I was just like, hey, man, I'm going to let you know, like this dude just shrecked my army. and I'm kind of in a bad mood, but I'm not going to I'm not going to let you have a bad game. Like and so we, we had a good game. But it was just like internally it was frustrating because I was like, I'm I'm just gonna like I'm gonna lose this game because like half of my army is broken and we have to play this game and I'm just not gonna have those models. Yeah, for sure. That that guy was uh that guy's very interesting because um he came from Hawaii, 
But the reason why he was at LVO was because uh, his team out in Hawaii, they all paid for him. They chose him specifically to go out to LVO to represent their team and Hawaii, which is a uh, pretty interesting. Oh yeah. Cool. It was super like he was, he was like great opponent. So I only yeah. have nice things to say about him. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, screw that guy. Hate that guy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so today, uh, the topic that we're talking about is uh, talking about utilizing tournament rules to your advantage. Now, as a as a disclosure here, we are not saying that these are scummy ways that you can play uh, the game during a tournament in order to win more you know we're not going over like scummy ways to do it these are just smarter ways for you to play the game so then that way you can use every tool inside of your uh you know your mind's tool set to play the most optimally at an event so that's what we're talking about today but before we go into that as always this show is brought to you by frontlinegaming.org where you can get amazing game mats for not just your 40k games but almost any tabletop game out there purchase miniatures at a discount and join some of the largest 40k events in the industry they also have great podcasting networks like signals from the frontline chapter tactics which you're listening to right now the thursday show with adam camillari and so much more that's frontlinegaming.org or you can click on the link in the description of this podcast on all the social media goodies out there and without further ado let's get right into this and let's talk about uh the first thing they have written down here and this is slow rolling into certain units who wants to start talking about this one first yeah sure i'll go yeah yeah go for got it. it i got it no problem no, uh, yeah, slow rolling into certain units. So normally, right, uh, you have might have multiple different types of units inside of a unit, especially with the new Tau Codex. Uh, so when you're taking your wound rolls and whatnot, uh, it's probably more beneficial for you to slow roll than fast roll so you don't screw up and kill off something that you shouldn't have uh, and, you know, and be able to outlast your opponents uh, when it comes to, staying uh on the board and being resilient um it's not so much in a way as to kill time it's just so that you get the maximum uh potential from that unit in your army yeah uh in order to uh piggyback off of that another thing that uh it's good for you to do it yourself but it's also equally as good to do it against your opponent against certain units so something that is very interesting is something like when you're shooting into trajan right? Trajan Valoran for Custodes. Uh, it's very good for you to start slow rolling your stuff if uh, you're fighting against him because of his moment shackle to reduce damage down to zero. Um, it makes it so then that way they have to choose when they want to use moment shackle instead of giving them more information if you were to fast roll all of it and then they could just fast roll their all their saves. See if uh, he does survive off of not taking, uh, reducing the damage down to zero. So this way you're kind of forcing your opponent to make those decisions on the fly and you're doing it on their time as well so very interesting yeah uh and and to clarify a little bit uh when we say slow rolling we're not we're not saying like take your time and roll the dice slow as molasses like by the letter of the rules every dice roll is an individual roll um and so fast icing is where you take all of your bulk gun shots and you roll them at once right but as the way that 40k actually works and is written down, each of those is technically a single die roll, and you're within your rights to roll them individually. 
And like Matt was saying, when Trajan or other characters might have some way to uh, negate your damage to zero if they fail a save, what they can do is they can fast roll their saves and then be like, oh, this one that I failed or this, this one out of two that I failed, I'm going to use Moment Shackle on that one. Whereas if I roll my dice individually and make them take their saves individually, technically by the letter of the rules, then you might be able to catch them out of like, okay, well, if you don't use Moment Shackle now, he's going to die. And then I still have two more rolls to make. And then it's like, it's done. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's the same thing too. The exact same instance with Drakari's upgraded racks, the Hemazites, because as soon as they fail a roll, the damage is reduced to zero. So it's, it, 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 you definitely want to slow roll when you run into things like Trajan and Hemazites. Yeah, definitely. Um, it helps out a lot because all you're doing is making it so then, especially into um, even Tau, right, with their shield drones. If you're yeah. slow rolling into them, then instead of doing all these fast rolls and then they get to choose, oh, I'm going to take this one on a marker drone, I'm going to take this one on a shield drone, and they get to, like, divvy out their saves uh, depending on what you fast rolled because, you know, once, it, once you roll all your dice, that's it. That's all you get, right? So when you're forcing them to make decisions on the fly of, should I put this on my Iridium suit? Should I put this on a non-Iridium suit? Should I put this on a shield drone? That's all decisions that they make on their clock time, right? Yep. So it's very interesting. Uh, yeah. John P., do you want to talk about any any of that? Yeah. I mean, like you guys mentioned, it's uh, on the fly decision making they have to do, and that can lead to like human error. Like, oh, shoot, I defeated, I put this wound on something I shouldn't have, um, ideally. And it, you're kind of forcing your opponent to, like, make a mistake, uh, which is, you know, yeah. all, all in the nature of the uh, competitive game. Yeah, and it's not like it's scummy. It's just that that's just, you know, you're making it so then it's, you're putting your opponent on your toes, right? It's not like yep. you're you're forcing them to make a bad decision or you're gaming the system. It's just like you're, you're just playing the way that's supposed to be played and you're making it so then you're keeping your opponent humble because... If they do fast roll all that stuff, then they're getting knowledge on all of your rolls uh, that they shouldn't be having, right? And you can be, you can technically say as well, you know, you could say the same thing about CP rerolls, same thing, right? If uh, you fast roll all your saves and then you're like, I'm going to CP reroll one of these because this was going to kill me, technically you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. All right, cool. So I think that we beat that dead horse. Let's move on to the next one. <laughs> uh, we have charging a unit that has a lot that has to roll a lot of dice. Uh, John P, do you want to take this one away? Do you mean like Overwatch? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about like in order to help run out your opponent's clock time because this is all based yeah. off of uh, running them on a clock. You only have a certain amount of time. Gotcha. What you do. Yeah, it's uh, taking a small unit that you don't really care too much about and charging into a unit that does a bunch of dice rolls to waste time yeah. on your opponent's clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I understand now. So let's say you're playing against orcs um, and they're running a 30-man blob and you just want to tag them, tie them up uh, with something durable, maybe like a rhino or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, charge, charge that 30-man blob with a rhino you get your three attacks hitting on sixes and you're done with it and they have to do all their pylons, all their attacks, um, and then probably just swing at that rhino maybe with like 10, 15 guys and deal like 
six, seven wounds, and your rhino still lives, and those thir- your opponents just have to waste like I don't know, like a minute or two, um, having to roll all those dice that they normally wouldn't have had to do. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's really nice, especially if you're going to like huge blobs. Um, if you're going to huge blobs, you know. Those blobs, a lot of people are like, oh, dude, this this unit gets 60 attacks or this unit gets, you know, 80 attacks. Yeah. Well, you got to count all those dice and you got to yeah. roll them, right? So yep. uh, that that's also very interesting. Um, Wyatt, do you have anything that you want to add on to that? That's a really good point. So um, clock time is, is a resource, just like your CP uh, for spending on stratagems, things like that. So learning how to properly manage your own time as well as utilizing tactics to put your opponent onto their time so then they have to spend that in maybe a way that they didn't necessarily want to uh, is, is a really good tactic. And you just have to look at it that way. Like the, the time was initially put together uh, on... Chess clocks were initially put together to create fairness for the game, right? Because... It's unfair if we have three hours and I'm playing against Demeki and he takes um, two hours of our three-hour game to do what he wants to do and I only get an hour to do what I want to do. Like, that's just unfair. We, we split it down the middle and I have my time and he has his time. And we have to spin that fairly between us. And so we have clocks now. And now that that is a thing and it is well-established in the tournament scene, um, it's just a resource like any other and you have to manage it properly. And so... Being better at 40K, one of those steps is learning how to properly manage your time where your opponent is maybe mismanaging their time. And so if you were to do something, like that's a great example, is like taking a a trash unit or a durable unit that is just going to sit there and tar pit somebody and force them to spend time because they they have to. Um, It's a good tactic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's one. It's one of my favorite things because it's it's so funny. It's like, oh yeah, that's a cool squad. You get eighty attacks. That's nice. All right, kill this. Uh, kill this rhino. <laughs> and then and then they have to count all the dice. You have to sit there and watch them count their dice on their turn and everything like that. Um, it's a it's a fun time. Demeki, do you have anything to add on to that, or do you want to move on to the next one? Uh, I mean, the only thing that I have to add to is like, e- even if it is a throwaway unit and the unit survives, it's done its part. Uh, it's wasted your opponent's time and then on top of that it's tied that unit into combat with something that he didn't probably plan on it to be in combat with right so now like it's tied into combat for another turn because it's going to have to fall back unless he has a way to fall back and charge or do any other shenanigans so it's it's super beneficial it's you know besides just the clock playing out the clock yeah the humble rhino right just (laughs) getting as much value as you can out of him all right, cool. I think that's something that we should probably just talk about just straight up since we are mentioning it a lot is just uh, using a clock, right? I feel like that maybe that's the first thing that we should talk about here. Uh, Wyatt, do you want to talk about this? Sure, yeah. So um, for those of you who might not know, back in the, the Wild West days of the tournament scene, uh, time management was kind of a problem. Um, and so now that we've gotten into this modern era where we have our times for rounds and we want to make sure that both players have a fair game. We have chess clocks, right? And FLG did a great job of sort of like, we recognize this issue. We want to move towards fixing it. So we're going to kind of soft enforce clocks one year. And then the next year we're going to, we're going to hard enforce clocks. And so now we have this rule where 
if one player wants a clock, then both players must play on the clock, no exceptions, right? Um, and so then we get into the modern game of managing your time as a resource. And yeah. I know people to this day where we've we've had clocks for what, like three, four years now? Yeah, I think um, so. And they'll they'll like we'll be hanging out after a round and he looks bummed out. I'm like, oh dude, what happened? And he's like, Oh, this guy slow played me. I'm like, how? We have we have chess clocks. Like, I know for a fact that if I open your backpack, you own a chess clock and it's in there. You brought it to this tournament. Why don't you use it in every game if that's something that you worry about, right? And so just just using it, right? Um, there's there's a way to go about it in a sportsmanship manner. Um, most of the time my go-to is like I'll put it on the table and be like, hey, I'm just playing on the clock because I need to manage myself, you know, um, make sure that I'm giving you a fair game. Uh, and most people are like, oh yeah, yeah, sure. Like, but if you were to like slam that clock on the table, be like, oh, we're about to do this, and like <laughs> you're really aggressive with it, then you know, people are gonna be aggressive back. So yeah, you have to you kind of be nice about it, but they have to play on it. And um managing that time is is just really important and you should always use it and i'll just tell you from experience like initially i was like i think clocks are kind of like man i'm not super into it um there was some people uh even now that are like i don't like clocks i think it goes against the spirit of the game or whatever the argument might be but i can tell you uh playing on a clock and just managing yourself will make you better at 40k because yeah. one of the biggest uh, pitfalls that people still fall into when they're playing 40k in general or up to a higher level is they just waste time thinking about stuff and you can you can kind of waffle on these decisions and get inside your own head and before you know it you you've wasted like five minutes and you haven't moved a single model so just putting yourself on the clock and then managing that for both players will make you better at 40k yeah, it, it opens up things like muscle memory, right? And your army just knowing like how, uh, not knowing like how far they move visually, but, you know, getting like a, getting a roundabout idea of how far things move, letting you know like what your threat ranges are at a glance um, helps you gain like this muscle memory of like moving units and knowing uh, what you need to do and certain times that you're playing, right? Um, yeah. So... I think that Demeki has a great story. Uh, do you want to talk about uh, what happened with you um, and why you like chess clocks now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this comes into another topic too that we're, we're going to touch on a little bit more uh, later. But uh, so this is at uh, a tournament. I'm not going to say what tournament, but uh, it was at a team tournament. And uh, I went up against an opponent who took a very long time to just set up his army. Uh, it took so long for him to set up his army that we ended up running out of time to play. Uh, he really did slow. He slow played the heck out of the game uh, to where uh, I lost by like five points. And if I would have been able to play my next round, I would have won. So uh, that is one of the reasons why you should play on a chess clock to keep yourself in check and to keep your opponent in check so that you don't run into a feels bad moment because, you know, somebody's dragged on the game longer than it should have and you end up missing out and uh, missing out on points and po possibly winning that match. Yeah. And, you know, people 
there uh, there are people out there that play slowly like naturally like this is but this is on like a competitive level if you're playing at a competitive level a clock should be used like almost all the time um just because it keeps both people in check Uh, i highly recommend that if you're going to run a large army and transport them that the day of the tournament you take them out of the carrying case and put them onto i don't know a cart or some some type of display tray or whatever but get them out of the carrying case so it's easier to field them onto the table yeah definitely uh john p do you have anything to add onto a clock onto bringing one uh onto bringing one yeah just want to reiterate what uh why it's the other like it's it's not fair if one one person gets to play for two hours while the other gets to play for one hour so it makes the game fair yeah definitely exactly Um, like it, it one thing that I've I've had to tell people in the past is um, sportsmanship goes beyond having a smile on your face and, and having a like a pleasant tone of voice with somebody. Um, one thing that we say a lot on the Long War podcast and one of the things that we enforce in our events that we run at a lot of FLG events, the Long War doubles, is sportsmanship is ensuring that your investment and in having a good time is equal for yourself and for your opponent. Like if, if you are not invested equally in making sure that they have as good a time as you have, you're not actually being a good sportsman. And so you could be the nicest guy in the world, but if you play 40K, you know, slow as a turtle, you're actually kind of cheating that person. Like you're not being a good sport. Like just because you're nice doesn't mean you're being a good sport. And so like playing on a clock doesn't have to be this rigid draconian rule set it's just a way to make sure that both people are having a fair game and to make sure both people are having a good time yeah definitely i mean like look at american psycho right uh who's the actor in that christian bale yeah charming beautiful beautiful man but he is a killer (laughs) he will kill you right so just uh keep keep that in mind all right moving on from there uh we can talk about declaring intent john p you want to take this one away yeah, yeah. So playing with intent is just a matter of just moving things, telling them um, how you're, you want to place your models, essentially, um, is one way to play with intent. Let's say, like, you're placing a model in a piece of terrain, um, and you place it, like, just about an inch away, and you tell your opponent, I'm 1.1 inches away, so that they can't come in and charge you. Um, you say you roll up to a character, um, you want to stay outside of the heroic intervention range, you place it just about three inches away and tell them, yeah, I'm 3.1 inches away um, or 6.1 inches away if they have a 6.1 inch heroic intervention. Um, things like that are ways to, or even with terrain, uh, say you're staying behind the train, not touching train, or saying you're touching train so that you can see through it and shoot through it. Uh, things like that really uh, streamline the game. Um, and it also keeps you and your opponent like talking to each other. Uh, the way the communication's there, um, it shows them that you're interested in telling them what you're doing um and you know it prevents like feels bad it's like Wyatt had where uh, like i mean he, obviously he's the army brook but like wait did we talk about downstream yeah we did we talked about stream? it we, we talked we about stream. okay yeah, sorry yeah. My, my brain's like okay but yeah uh but like let's say like someone bumps into the table and your models move and they get they go from like 3.1 to 2.5 and they're like oh i'm the heroic ravine um yeah uh playing with intent um kind of prevents those kinds of feels bads and yeah. streamlines streamlines the game 
Yeah, definitely. And it's like one of those things where, um, you know, when you're going to these events, these events are massive. There's so many people. And like these games are like, you know, next to tables versus other tables and other tables. Like they're all connected almost, um, especially at like large majors and everything like that. So sometimes, you know, there's going to be some problems where somebody's going to like accidentally bump into your table and might move some models around. So just like talking about your intent is uh, very good. Helps, uh, helps out the game a lot. Uh, White or Demeki? Who wants to go? Who wants to talk about it? I love uh, White Girl. Okay. Yeah, yeah. like in, intent is really important. And um, simply just like it, it opens a dialogue between you and your opponent, right? Because in many ways, when you set up to the table, you're kind of entering into a social contract with your opponent of like, you know, we're going to play this game. And the intent is that like, we're going to be like fair to each other and we want to have a good time like win or lose we should both have a good time um but we are playing competitively and so because so many interactions in 40k are very granular in how things work right declaring intent is a way to just alleviate some of the problems that we've had in the past of like um a great example is blast templates like some of the old heads might remember blast templates and just what an absolute headache it was like you could never ever have agreement on blast templates dude right? i don't even I'm, i didn't even play during blast templates and every time that i hear somebody talk about blast templates i get ptsd yeah um <laughs> scatter dice like yeah. scatter dice was another one like oh well i think the arrow is actually pointing this way and then your opponent is like no it looks like it's pointing this way and you know moving along that imaginary like all that type of stuff um it was such a problem before that now that we're in this more modern edition Simply saying stuff like, hey, I'm moving my models and they're not touching this building. So that way, if something um, happens, like uh, models get bumped, model like the table gets jostled, um, you you roll some dice, right? Like and a dice hits your model and you don't even realize that it moved and is now touching. Um, it's just a way to alleviate any type of gotchas or arguments about this, that, or the other thing that can come down into those very granular rules. Um, and I think playing to intent is really the way that, that 40 K is meant to be played. Agreed. Uh, yeah. rather than everything being 100% ironclad rules as written must do everything exactly this one way. If, if you didn't, you know, you place that model there and I can see the tip of his sword so I can shoot at it and like all this other stuff beyond intent, like it just makes it for a bad scene. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Demeki. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when it comes to playing with intent too, uh, it's, I think it's more needed when it comes to the terrain setup, like going through the, each piece of terrain and actually saying like, all right, this does this, this does that. If, if you're at an event that doesn't already have a packet that, that lays all that out, uh, you definitely need to go through the intent for each piece before you actually kick off the game. Uh, but luckily, most of the time, uh, most of the events these days have a packet and it kind of outlines everything that's going on with the terrain. Dude, thank you for that tee up there, Demeki. Let's uh, <laughs> we, we can talk about the next thing here, and that's actually learning your terrain pack. Now, when you walk up to an event, right, um, you, you know, when you walk up to your table, you have 10 minutes to set up terrain if it's player place terrain or player optimized terrain. Uh, you have 10 minutes to set that up. 
Um, and so you need to learn your terrain pack for that event because things are going to change. Uh, one, one event might treat certain uh, pieces of terrain differently from another event that you're playing at. And so just learning your terrain pack helps you save so much time in those 10 minutes that you have before you actually play the game, right? Definitely. Uh, yeah. John P., what you got? Yeah, I think the biggest one is like the ever-changing rules for force <laughs> across events. Yeah, some right. <laughs> as, yeah, <laughs> some treat them as obscuring, some treat them as dense, some treat them as dense light cover. It's just read your rules packets, guys. And then um, uh, if a tournament organizer also took the time to like um, put like uh, assign like numbers and put those on the bottom of the what's my call it's the pieces of terrain. Yeah, that's super helpful too. Yeah. Um, yeah, something that. Uh, Maybe more TLs could do for their events. <laughs> That'd be yeah, sick. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why? I, I, oh, go ahead, Demeki. Uh, uh, I I was gonna say I think the the funniest thing because it it was force force were like the thing last year. Uh, we went. I remember the first event that I went to, and it was like, oh, force are dense, and uh, they give obscuring. Where like I think GW's actual ruling for force is that it's difficult ground and dense. So like yeah. that was unique. To, to run in that and it, and it had obscuring and dense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Wyatt. Right. Yes. Cause terrain now has keywords, right? It's a great mm -hmm. system. Um, back in, back in the old times, fourth edition, we used to have a similar setup. Uh, but now because we have keywords, you can just assign whatever keywords to a piece of terrain that you want. Right. Uh, Games Workshop has uh, their opens and they have a very specific layout and everything is uniform and set. And that's one thing, right? So that's that's pretty easy to figure out when you're there. Um, but a lot of people, when they're putting on events, they're trying to make the terrain they have work for whatever edition we're playing in because it's very expensive in dollars and human hours to buy, build, paint new terrain for events because you need a lot of it. Yeah, right. and it, oh, and it keeps getting updated a lot too. It does, yeah. yeah. To just to make things that you have work and um, just keep up with the game. Like a great example is uh, FLG has a fantastic terrain pack that has color pictures of all of their tables and exactly what keywords are assigned to them. And we were at New Orleans Open last year, and there was uh, keywords assigned to certain things, and then they they were like, okay, well that didn't necessarily work or the game has shifted a little bit. And so we're going to change and alter some of those keywords between new Orleans and LVO. And so just keeping up with these player packs is really important because I'll, I'll go and out of six games, probably like three of my opponents are like, I don't know what any of these keywords are and I kind of have to tell them and that sort of thing. And, um, or it'll be like, Oh, well guy last time said that they were different. And then I'll pull out the player pack and be like, nah, this is what it is. <laughs> John P and Demeki, did that? Did this problem or uh, talking about like terrain and stuff? Did that uh, come up the last times that you guys were at events? Uh, so so the the two events, the the big two events that I went to last year, uh, that I actually got to play in. Luckily, it was two different styles of terrain. Uh, one stuff was already uh pre-placed by the TO. And uh, we went through, I, w I remember going through it with my opponent as to what did what. Um, but the other one was an FLG event and everything was like, this has this, this, this. And, and it was all numbered. 
and uh, the numbers were associated with the pieces of terrain in the player pack. Gotcha. So it didn't come up too much. What about you, Johnny? Not, not really. Uh, not for me either. Like, if we ever had an issue, like, uh, the number was on the bottom, we could just refer to the number in the player packet. Uh, anything we only really had to ask, like, in the, the building phase or the optimization phase, uh, where, like, maybe we didn't want to pull out the packet. We just asked the table next to us, hey, you guys know what this is supposed to be? <laughs> you know, like, hey, you guys have answers for this, you know? <laughs> what, do you guys have? Oh, what's the answer yeah. for number three, guys? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you're putting that one there? Yeah, I'll do the same. Oh, sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, right. you know what? Um, since both Wyatt and John P actually uh, played at LVO, did they end up adding to the player packet that uh, all terrain must be placed on the table regardless? I believe that is in the terrain guidelines. Okay. Um, yeah. What, what he's referring to is we had a... They're, they're giving us more than we actually need to make sure that both players have a fair half of the table. So when you actually look at the pieces of terrain, which are, you know, kind of an esoteric system of like, okay, well, we have this one piece, which is like an L, but it's different from this table, which is different from that table or what have you, right? So if you were to actually try to place everything exactly uh, four to six inches away from another piece or the table edge, you very quickly kind of run out of a perfect measurement for all that stuff, which is where most people are like, as long as it's fair, okay. But when they started hard enforcing that, some people were like, well, I physically can't do this. So there must be like an extra piece on my table by accident. And so they had people like take pieces off the table and like put them underneath and stuff like that. And so they were like, <laughs> do not do that. Use it all. It's okay if it's not mathematically perfect. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think with that too, a lot of people were just like nice about like, oh, let me move this back and then this will fit um especially or in some of the games i played at least um i remember the ones i had trouble with were like those big like canyon walls made out of styrofoam oh yeah, yeah. those things were big and they were long i am describing a piece of terrain right now nothing else uh, <laughs> 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 uh but yeah they took up a lot of space and it was kind of hard to plan around those <laughs> yeah i can feel that all right moving on from there uh this one is uh pretty easy just don't shoot units that don't matter like, don't waste your time, man. You got pistols with these, like, I don't know, like, storm bolters or something. You get, like, two shots or whatever. Just don't just don't pick up the dice. Don't roll it. You don't need them. What do you guys think about this rule of just uh, don't don't shoot units yeah. that don't matter? If, if a unit doesn't have a target that's designed to shoot at, don't waste your time rolling dice on that. Um, yeah. If I have tactical marines or Primaris Marines, they all have bolt rifles, and there is a, a Dreadnought that's their only target. Unless you have some wacky stratagem that lets them do something really cool, those rifles are not designed to kill a Dreadnought. They're meant to kill light infantry, like medium to light infantry. So, yeah, cool. Dice Mojo, you may put one wound on a Dreadnought for the memes, but you just wasted like two minutes to do all that, right? Yeah. So... Target the right things with your units or just, you know, just let them, let them chill out. Don't waste time on it. Yeah. Cause like the thing is, is that, and, and we say like, you're wasting two minutes here. You're wasting three minutes here. You're wasting, you're wasting a minute here. All that stacks up. You only have an hour and 30 minutes to play your turn. Right. When it comes to a uh, competitive on the clock game of 40 K. Uh, so when you are running into these things where it's like, Oh, 
I'm going to waste, or I'm wasting two minutes here. I'm wasting two minutes here. I'm wasting two minutes here. You know, all of a sudden that's, that's eight minutes off your clock off of a one hour and 30 that you have. So like you have to kind of use your, you have to be smart about what you're shooting and if it's even meaningful at all. Right. Um, And the other part of using a clock is you're meant to play five turns. (laughs) So like, yeah, both of you have a clock and you both use it fairly and the, the timer on the round ends like fantastic. If you only play two rounds, like that's a problem. Uh, you should be playing five turns with your time allotted. So that's another reason to practice with this and learn to make these decisions of like, what do I need to cut to do what I need to do and still yeah. play five turns? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Demeki and John P, do you have anything to add or do you guys want to move on to the next one? I'm good. I'm good. You're good. All right, let's do it. Moving on to the next part here, player optimized terrain. Let's just open the floor here, talking about player optimized terrain. Any uh, it's what now? It's been a little bit over a couple of months that player optimized terrain has come out. I think from FLG. We're, we're pushing, maybe I a year. Remember right? I think the first event was Lone Star Open last year. Okay. Was it? All right. So we're we're closing in on close to a year, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So. What are some tips and tricks that you guys have about player optimized terrain that you've learned uh, playing at uh, events and using that format? I have any 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 tips that I have is probably going to be like the same things that you guys have. So let's open up the floor. Uh, how about John P? You want to go first? Yeah, I like taking that big L and then like making like a corner out of it. Uh, I love like corner L's. Yeah. yeah, corner L's so you could just covers so much more ground than just having it shaped like a normal L, like, uh, you know, the way well, that, you know, God John, intended it. For well, well, like, John P, a nor- a, a, L rotate it. <laughs> John P, an L, even if you rotate an L, is still an L. Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah, still- but, you, know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah. You, have a, you have a good point. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it changing covers, the direction of a, of a piece of terrain is actually really beneficial, especially if you're playing with big stuff. Um, yeah. Some people might remember, or they've played on FLG tables or not, but there's a, a couple of tables, uh, like their Gothic Ruin table, where they have a big old honking, like half of a box type of building, right? And you actually get a ton of play if you just turn it all the way around, right? Uh, especially because you can't put a piece of terrain over top of an objective, right? And um, what I mean by objective is the 40 millimeter token that an objective is supposed to be, not the you know, diameter mats that a lot of people use. Um, So if you turn that building all the way around where the front wall is actually what you're hiding behind and like the the butt of the building is facing your opponent, you get so much more worth out of that because you have this huge obscuring thing. And then for them to want to shoot you, they have to get really close and then they have to touch the building and then they can't charge you without being seen because they're already inside the piece of terrain. Oh, that's smart. I like that, that is one. Smart. I didn't even yeah. think about that because, like, that 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 would have probably been way more useful when I was using the Chronos. But I mean, th- that also comes back to like if you're using uh fly, you have a lot of units that use fly. Uh, you know, set up your terrain however you want, essentially, because you're just gonna be able to go right over it. But I mean, it is player optimized terrain is your chance to build your dream deployment zone, right? So just think oh, about who told you that, that to Mickey. What? That's a really Dude. good saying. Who told you that? You did. Yeah. So wise. Yeah. <laughs> so wise. 
why it's so wise and <laughs> like i mean that's that's what it comes down to you're building your uh best deployment zone that you could have for your army to survive like round one of shooting if you're going up against a shooty army and also a way to protect them as they move up so yeah. i i absolutely love it i think it's one of the best things that that came out of ninth so far yep. And yep. very much like clocks, it's it's another resource. It's a resource for you to to spend however you want to spend it. Um, it could be to your advantage. It could also be to your opponent's disadvantage. Um, in ninth edition, a lot of missions are very centric on the middle objective, the objective in the center of the board, and owning that. And there's a lot of really tough units that like the tactic of placing a piece of terrain right there where they can kind of toe touch that objective but still be very defensive in a piece of terrain um and just very basic stuff like space marines and oath of moment right if you're playing a space marine player they got a really a lot of tough units like blade guard veterans they're probably going to take oath of moment and i don't like that so i'm going to take my smallest crappiest piece of terrain and i'm going to put it like right as close to the center line as possible so that they have to be either four to six inches away from it and can't do that tactic they have to be out in the open and fight me for that center objective yeah makes it makes it more uh killy makes it more uh it, it makes it more interesting because you're making your opponent have to choose uh if they're gonna take oaths a moment um how they're gonna survive on that point just being out in the open and uh it it, it makes for a lot of really good uh mind games john p i'm sorry uh i feel like that we might have cut you off a little bit do you want to keep going with uh what you were trying to say Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess another point to add on to what Demeki said with like uh, building to your army's advantages, like if you have a lot of units that can fly, maybe you want to put those like cannon styrofoam walls uh, up in front um, since they, they're not breachable. But if you have fly, you can just go over them. So Stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, dense terrain, too. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, difficult ground, dense terrain. You have fly. Whoa, whoa. you have fly. So it's like, yeah, pretty good. Just put them on there. Nah. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, moving on from that, unless you guys have anything else to say about player optimized terrain, any other things? No? All right, nah. cool. Sick, nasty. Moving on from there, we have yeah, uh, rolling your missed dice for your wound rolls. This one's a little bit of a niche thing, but I like it. Uh, I, I think I first witnessed this with um, – playing against Zach, and I was like, that's really smart. I like that. Where you just basically have, if you shoot something and you have, like, two shots, instead of picking up all the dice, um, if one of them fails to hit, just take the one that failed to hit and then say that's your wound roll, and then just roll that and say uh, wounding on this, and then that way you don't have to keep resetting your dice over and over again for your hit rolls and your wound rolls. Uh, yeah. What do you guys think about that one? I know it's kind of straightforward, but you know, <laughs> it's just a small tip. Uh, do yeah, you guys want to move I, on from there, or yeah? I, I was gonna say I think with that you just gotta make sure to tell your opponent exactly what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. this is my wound roll. Come and back then, to maybe it. you could roll it and block use it your hand to stop it from hitting anything, so yeah. that it doesn't get mixed in with other dice. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I think that we can move on from there. You guys cool with that? Yep. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh, ooh. Another thing, keeping track of not just your CP, but also your opponent's CP. That helps out a lot. Just bring two separate colored uh, dices, 
keep track of your own CP, keep track of your opponent's CP. Yeah. Helps you learn uh, how much CP your opponent has and how much CP you have uh, visually for yourself. Yeah, just keep track of it. People are human. They make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, They'll be like, I want to spend CP on this. I'm like, you ran out of CP last turn, bro. They're like, ah, okay. Proceed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right, cool. Uh, We hit those right out of the park. Easy peasy. Next one here. Uh, Before rolling dice, declare your intent on what is happening here. Wyatt, you want to take this one away? Oh, this is a big one. This is a big one. So how many times you played a game where somebody is just playing, playing their game and they just start rolling dice and they're like, oh, you got like 12 saves on your boys. And you're like, what? what? What just happened? What, we, what are we doing right now? Right. Um, you can't do that. <laughs> like part of the code of conduct is that you must tell your opponent what you're doing before you do it. Right. Because what if he's just rolling dice and I'm like, well, I wanted to play transhuman. And now you know, and I know what the result of those dice are. So that's not fair. Um, or any or any other situation that's like that, right? So if I pick up my dice, somebody like my Sagittarium, they're going to shoot your racks. And I'm going to shoot both profiles. So I'm hitting on threes, re-rolling ones. And then you get a chance before those dice leave my hand to be like, oh, well, I would like to play this stratagem. Or, hey, remember, you're shooting through dense terrain. So it's like minus one or whatever it might be, right? Like there has to be that back and forth as part of playing to intent. And then I roll the dice and and proceed, right? But if somebody just rolls a bunch of dice and they're like, you have like 12 saves at this AP and this damage, but they didn't tell you what they were doing before they did it, you can't do that. So you're within your rights as a player to be like, you didn't say what that was. Pick up all your dice. Tell me what you're doing. We roll them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, some people, what they like to do is just be like, Oh well, on a four up, it was this or something like that. Nah, nah, nah. No, no, no. We, we, we never, ever, ever do that. Never, <laughs> ever take that. That is like the devil's bet, because if any, like it's, I'm to a point now where if somebody pulls that, I just know that they're, I assume they're being untruthful or they're angle shooting, because like that is not how 40k is played. Like you should know, and if you don't know, we should look it up or we should call a judge. Yeah, it's a it's a common tactic in in uh, Magic the Gathering that people do that they they speed play they try to play quickly so that you won't catch right like what it is that they're doing or you'll misplay you'll forget to play your card and stuff and like the people are trying to do the same thing the, the that and maybe they're not they don't realize that they're being uh, malicious about it right but like yeah. it it's a form of play. That they're trying to do so that you screw up and forget to do something and it costs you. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah Got to watch that because, you know, it's sometimes people don't do it maliciously. That's it's entirely true. And sometimes they do. Um, I've seen it a lot with people that are like, uh, we only have like 30 minutes to get these last two rounds in and they just start trying to speed through things um, without like really doing their due diligence or like, they mismanage their clock and they're trying to make sure that um, they get all this stuff done with the remaining time they have. Uh, mm-hmm. but that goes into another point where it's like, if, if you're having trouble managing your clock, make sure to actually use it the way you're supposed to. Where if, if I shoot my guns at Demeki's guys, um, rolling my dice is on my time. And then when he goes to make saves, click it over to him. That's on his time. Um, now, if you're playing really fast 40k and time really isn't much of an issue, 
um, you can you can roll saves on your opponent's time or whatever it might be. But if that's something you need to get better at, or time is kind of a precious commodity right at the end of a game, I'm gonna make sure my opponent's rolling his saves on his time. Yeah, make sure that it's not an issue because like I'll I'll take my time, declare my intent, roll my dice, and then it's you know roll your saves on your time, bro. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jumpy, you have anything to add on to this? Nope. <laughs> All right, cool. I love it. I, it's uh, short and simple. Okay, so moving on from there, we have uh, no rules that you'll have to know. So if you are playing in one of these tournaments and uh, you know that one of the big bads is the Tau Codex or like Custodes or Harlequins or Tyranids, something like that, you should read up on their rules because if you ask your opponent questions about their army and what certain things do, that's happening on your clock. Uh, who wants to take this one away to talk about it more in depth? Uh, I, I can go because uh, right. this, this happened a lot. Um, you know, I ran up into uh, Admech a lot last last season. And I honestly, God, I think I've, I played like John P's Admech like one time because like I'm the type of person like I need to get reps in against the army to fully understand what it is that they do. Now, I'm not probably going to know every stratagem that they have, but to get the core mechanics as to like what they can do, uh, I need to fight them. Um, and I think that's what we're trying to say is that like it's OK if you don't understand every single one of their stratagems and you have a question about a stratagem. Um but just realize that's going to be on your time. As to the core functions of their army, you should rush up on and know kind of like what the, what their niche is, like what it is that they're really good at, uh, some of the things that uh, they tend to use a lot from the Codex, uh, whether it be like certain factions, sub-factions that they go with and, and, and all that good stuff. But like yeah. when, it, when it came to... Uh, Anytime that I had a question for my opponent, I always told them to like, hey, you can put this on my time because like I'm the one that asked the question and I want to know like because uh, I, I, you know, this is my first time dealing with. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Uh, John P. Uh, I don't really have anything to add. Oh, OK. All right. <laughs> Wyatt. Ooh, I have I have a cheat code for this. Oh, it's a great. Cheat oh, okay. Code. OK, OK. So Wahapedia. You know, you love it. It's the best. Mm -hmm. uh, what I do for every event, usually the night before, is I go to Wahapedia on my phone and I go to the faction landing page for like every faction. Some factions I have memorized, right? If I'm playing against, like, I, I know Chaos, I know Death Guard, I know Space Marines, I know Custodes, right? So I don't need those. But what I will do is if I don't play a faction, I'll pull up their faction landing page and I'll just save that URL as an icon to my phone's home screen. So I'll have like 12, 15 of those, right? And you can delete them afterwards or just keep them. And so when I get my pairing, it's like, let's say I'm playing Tyranids. I don't know anything about Tyranids. I don't know what Crusher Stampede does. I haven't seen it, whatever. I'll just be like, oh, okay. So we just got like Hive Fleet, you know, so-and-so. Okay, I know what that does now. Okay, I you know, all right. All of his stuff has like feel no pain, minus one damage now. Okay, I know that now. Um, you just have that as like a readily available resource you can reference at any time. And then if somebody's like, I'm going to play this stratagem, um, I can I can just pull that up and make sure that they're telling me correct. Or if they paraphrase, because a lot of people paraphrase, you know, I do it too. 
um, a lot of GW rules are word salad and it would take you, you know, five minutes to read the three paragraphs <laughs> yeah. of what your stratagem yeah. does. So they paraphrase. Some people misremember when they paraphrase. So I'll just be like, ah, are you sure? And I'll just look it, look it up, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing. Just make sure that you know some of the rules that you need to know about the game and the armies that you are potentially going to be playing against. It's not, yeah. 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 Well, right. the one thing I wanted to add to that too, if you uh, are a person like me and you're old and you kind of have a hard time remembering stuff, keep a cheat sheet for yourself. Like the stratagems you know you're going to use every single game, like keep a cheat sheet because uh, you're not going to use every single stratagem in the book. Like, that should be part of your army building is figuring out what stratagems, what combos you're going to use uh, for your art, your build, your army's build, and just create a cheat sheet that has like the relics that you took and on what and, and what those relics do. And then also your top, what, 10, maybe eight or 10 stratagems that you're going to consistently use every single game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's move on from here because we have uh, two more things to talk about and then we can end off this episode. The next one here, it's called uh, pre-counting your dice. John P, take it away on why you should be pre-counting your dice. Yeah, I mean, let's say you have your bread and butter unit. Let's, uh, I play Space Marines. So let's say Vanguard Vets. Um, all claws on the charge, they get 21 attacks. Um, and you know that every time they're going to get 21 attacks, you might as well just have, you know, those dice like set off and ready or maybe like just section them off in like little units of four that are easy to grab uh just saves you so much time in that part of the game where you're gonna have to count up your dice especially if maybe you have like i don't know small hands or um i don't know how i feel that (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah definitely and it, it also helps to just uh have like a couple dice in your hands just at all times like six or seven uh, just so then when you do uh, your save rolls, you could just like pass them off uh, because they're already inside of your hands. You don't have to keep going back and like counting dice. Counting dice is like the bane of existence when it comes to 40K, uh, especially if you have a lot of dice to roll. It's like, nah, don't count like 50 dice all the time. Just like have it ready for you. Uh, so then, you know, right. I guess uh, the better thing to do too would be to look at, the largest volume or volley that you could do for your army and bring that many dice specifically, but keep backup dice like in your room or something. Right. So like if you mysteriously lose one or something, like you can always like replenish, but like if you have that exact amount for the largest volley you can do, then you don't really have to worry about as much because you know exactly how many dice you have. Yeah. 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 Another, another thing that I do is I have, um, the, uh, 36 dice they come in packs of 12 and they're uh three different colors blue green and purple and it, it lets me know like maybe if i need exactly 12 dice i just grab all my blue dice or all my purple dice or all my green dice i know it should be 12 unless i like lose the dice or something yeah definitely yeah or you put in more dice huh john p huh yeah, you yeah, little cheater stick, huh is that what <laughs> you're doing in a, stick in the 13th one <laughs> yeah 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 it's like ah oh, there is, thir- is yeah, 12 yeah, shot yeah, i mean 13 yeah. 13 uh, uh. <laughs> uh uh yeah this amount yeah. no judge I, there's nothing up my sleeve i'm not even wearing long sleeves i'm yeah. wearing a tank top <laughs> yeah 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 uh why do you have anything to add on to this no it's all great points i i, I do the same thing with um, my yeah. armies like right now i'm running custodies um I only have 25 casino dice because I will never, ever need more than 
yeah. 25 casino dice to play my if i have to take more than 25 saves i'm just like all right hold on but if you're using casino dice and you're pulling your guys does that mean that you got like the long like stick from a croupier oh, yeah, yeah dude i like, wish like for I wish shuffleboard like shuffleboard no 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 and craps no, it's like, like craps, the guy that, yeah he handles the the dice he's got like this long stick really oh that thing oh okay okay yeah <laughs> that's how you move all your models is with that stick yeah, <laughs> just, you know, what a great what a great way uh after that we have our last thing here um this sounds like a no-brainer but it actually helps out a lot this is something that you should be doing all the time uh whenever you are building an army list and that's thinking about your secondaries in mind but there's an extra caveat to that on why that's so important uh who wants to take this away john p you want to go for it sure yeah i mean i guess when you build out your list um a very common thing that people build out their list for, say, for example, is to the last. Like, you don't take to the last unless you happen to plan around it, you know? Um, you know, for sure, is that let's play, uh, uh, like, you're playing Death Guard. Um, you're bringing Morty and some Plague Burst Crawlers. Um, your to the last is going to be Morty and two Plague Burst Crawlers. You know that for a fact. Uh, and that's something that you can definitely plan around. Or maybe you're playing Tyranids. Um, yeah. you got a bunch of models that are fast, moving around the board. Uh, what's easier for that? Engage. Um, or yeah. let's say even um, just looking at like the mission packet beforehand, you know what um, uh, missions are assigned to which rounds. Mm -hmm. uh, you know which ones are going to be five objectives. And if there are five objectives, what's good on that? Strangle. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. So knowing all that information really helps out because, again, you only have 10 minutes to do all your stuff. That's including picking your secondaries. That includes, I, does that also include deploying your army or is it uh, just setting up the terrain? Do you guys know? Uh, I forgot. Yeah, I don't know. What, all, yeah. all the pregame yeah. stuff like um, terrain setup. Hey, this is my army. This is some things it can do. Um, any type of questions you might have before you start the game? Uh, yeah. That's a 10 minute period. Okay. Yeah. So knowing all your secondaries and everything beforehand helps out. So then you can streamline that information. So then if you know exactly what your, what secondaries you want to take right when you show up to that board, instead of being like, I don't know. I don't really know what I want to take here. Maybe I want to take this, or maybe I want to take a stranglehold. I don't know. Anything's up in the air. Hey, what's your army do by the way? And then like he describes it in two minutes and you're like, Oh, I still have to set up my terrain, all that stuff. There's so much that needs to be jam packed into those 10 minutes that, Knowing your secondaries right off the bat helps out so much in making sure that you have the time that you need allotted to play your game to its most optimal way, right? Demeki, you want to add on to that? Uh, I mean, I think we covered it most. Like, yeah, every time I, I try to build my list, I try to build it around uh, two secondaries and then the third kind of be up in the air. Uh, it was easier last season uh, because of the fact that there were mission secondaries that you could take versus, you know, your army secondaries and then the other secondaries that they have inside the, the grand tournament pack. Uh, this year, the primary objectives are different along with what are they calling them? Progressive, Progressive objectives. Uh, yeah. objectives yeah. Uh, in order for you to get what used to be the 15 points uh, for every single round for those primaries. So, now you really have to to dig into those uh specific 
uh, grand tournament secondaries and also your army secondaries in and kind of build that way as well. So, I mean, I think it's unique that they added that, but like you really should, when you're in the army building phase, really look at all those secondaries and build at least to two of them. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, Wyatt, want to add anything on? That's a, that's a solid strategy. Do it myself. Um, anything that anything that keeps me from making a bad decision, I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So that is everything that we uh, have written down to talk about. Do you guys have any last-minute zingers or anything else that you guys want to add on to uh, this conversation? John P's the goat. It literally says it in the background. <laughs> really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it says it on your dresser. It says goat right there. It's <laughs> small time right there, baby. It says, it says Togue. That's Togue? stop it stop it stop it all right so uh that's it that's gonna be it for this episode of chapter tactics thank you guys for listening uh where can they find you wyatt yeah so i stream uh three nights a week over on twitch uh twitch.tv slash jack of clubs painting with uh underscores and i also have a youtube channel under the same name if you want to catch some of our you know studio painting tutorials and uh, we do the Long War podcast every week, live on Twitch, Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central Time. Love it. Uh, love the Long War podcast. Uh, we've been on it a couple times. People here. Pretty good. Uh, Demeki, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me uh, besides underneath an overpass at twitch.tv forward slash Demeki. Heck yeah. And John P., where can they find you? McDonald's. I like oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Get that yeah. Wi-Fi too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Free Wi-Fi. But also at twitch.tv forward slash Joanne. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, as for myself, you can find me over at uh, twitch.tv forward slash PewDiePie. I think that there's something called Dice Check. There might be, I don't know. Go look it up. We don't know. They, they're, they're all ugly people. Don't watch them. Uh, but yeah, that's it for us. Thank you guys for watching. And we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. See you. Bye-bye.